It's a picture of a bird flying forward by looking back with an egg in its mouth. And it's this whole idea of, right, like I carry my past with me. I want to be present while moving forward. And all that went down, when I tell you my phone wouldn't stop ringing, and I just, I couldn't do it no more. I'm just like, I, I, I can't physically keep telling you all what to do. Like, can I just, you know, heal myself and heal my community? Can we just get our, can we just, can you take a minute, <laughs> you know? Um, and so just that self-awareness, I just appreciate your transfer. People have been telling women to stay in their place, their lane, since forever. And women have been saying, look, women, and in particular, black women, are doing the dang thing right now. Not that we haven't always been, but now everyone knows what we've been knowing from the jump. Our spectrum is wide and we are not one thing, nor do we master one thing, but many, including intelligent, philosophical, theological, political, emotional, practical conversations. Shout out to all the women who came before me, my ancestors, our ancestors. I wanted to create a show that pays homage and honors them while lifting up and encouraging the here and now. This is Full-Time Woman with Shalonda Sims, the show that celebrates around the way women who don't draw within the lines or stay in their lane because they're too busy being phenomenal, breaking barriers, working in and outside of the home, in their community, bringing home the bacon, frying it up in the pan, giving you that non-sugar-coated truth serum you might not like but without a doubt need, and always, always leading with love. But it's not all roses and doesn't come without opposition. This is real women, real life, real talk. Yes, good morning, everyone. Um, it's just always hard for me to move from a land acknowledgement, so I'm just going to sit with what's happening in my body, understanding that I hold indigenous DNA in me, and so I just need to sit. I always think it's going to get easier every time, but um, they are them, and I, I'm part of them, so um, I'm just going to sit with that. I think um, what is powerful is that we get to decide um, who we want to be based on our journey, um, based on where we are. And that's part of the, the invitation and the call um, and why I said yes um, to this opportunity, because I think it's so important that we humanize this journey um, of what it means to be doing this work, um, that we, won't, we don't just talk through the motions. Andy, I appreciate you giving some examples. Um, it's going to look different for all of us. To me, my work is making sure that I'm keeping myself together, that I'm healing in real time. Um, and, you know, part of setting the table today is going to be about how we make, how we have conversations about 
racism and traumas and how do we also become activated and move through it and and become new ancestors and really move that work both of the personhood into our institutions, into community, into the spaces that we live in. And so there's not a separate. When I turn off this camera, I'm, I'm still the same person. And, I, and the challenge in this work is gonna be who you are at work and who you are at home, who you are in the community, that you're able to be that whole person. So that's, that's really what we're gonna start off today by just modeling and also um, setting that, that intention. So now that I've caught my breath and my heart's kind of calmed, yes, V. Lynn Brown, she, her pronouns. Um, I am um, Northeast native, Vanport descendant, Portland homegirl right here for you. Uh, tried to leave this place many, many times, but um, the impartation of the village, when I was here, the community that I was here wouldn't let me rest. Um, I was everybody's kid, uh, daughter, aunt, uh, niece, whatever. And so um, there's a deep commitment for me. I feel like I um, hold three, I live, I live in three past, present, future, right? I, I carry my ancestors and those native folks from here, from Portland. I'm also um, trying to navigate being pushed out uh, gentrification, things that I've had to navigate here in Portland, and then I also have three beautiful children, well, young adults, they think they're grown, but um, Aaliyah, 21, Jalen, 20, Naya, 15, and my grandbaby, Royal Irene, um, and so I'm holding, like, you know, these. we all are navigating, if you're my age, I won't tell my age now, we're navigating not only just the world, we're also navigating space and time. Good morning and welcome to Full Time Woman, where we get a glimpse into the lives of real, everyday, phenomenal women. I'm your host, Shalonda Sims, and today I have the awesome privilege of speaking with my girlfriend, girlfriend. Hey, you. Okay, so I'm super excited, <laughs> and you already know this, um, that she agreed to be our first guest, but I don't really know how we're going to fit it into the time frame, because when we get together and we start talking... <laughs> It just goes on for hours and hours, but I'm sure if you have a girlfriend, you know how that is. Yes. Um, but we're about to get into it and see what happens. Okay, Lee, I know for a fact yes. that your favorite poet of all time, all time is Maya Angelou. Yes. And so I picked out one of her poems mm -hmm. that I would like for you to read and for us to discuss okay. as it pertains to you and your journey. Love it, I'm okay. honored, I'm honored. Okay. Cage Bird by Maya Angelou. A free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream till the current ends and dips his wing in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. But a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The cage bird sings with the fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill, but the cage bird sings of freedom. The free bird thinks of another breeze and the trade winds so soft through the sighing trees, and the fat worms waiting on a dawn bright lawn, and he names the sky his own. 
but a cage bird stands on the grave dreams. His shadow shouts on a nightmare scream. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The cage bird sings with a feel for trill of things unknown, but long for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill where the cage bird sings of freedom. Yes. yes. Thank you. And so that was a part of Maya Angelou's, or Dr. Maya Angelou, because you know we don't call our elders by our first name, but <laughs> so yeah. that was part of one of her poem anthologies, um, Cage Bird, right? Mm -hmm. Shaker, Why Don't You Sing? That was from 1983, published in 1983. Mm -hmm. um, after, right, her first or debut mem memoir, which was I know why the kids were <laughs> Right. I mean, and there's so many things to unpack here. Yeah. Uh, there's rage, there's oppression, there's freedom, there's captivity, there's mm -hmm. injustice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, some would say the overlying theme is the experience of the black race mm -hmm. in America. Mm -hmm. Because not only is the cage bird, uh, is the bird cage, but the wings are clipped. Yeah. And the feet are tied. Mm -hmm. So even if the bird escapes the cage, there is a high probability that the bird will not survive long mm -hmm. without being able to protect itself, right? And in that sense, how that type of cruel, intentional oppression causes so much rage within the cage bird. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1961, James Baldwin was asked about being black in America. And I know you know you're familiar with this. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's I feel like it's a quote that everyone is using right now, given the circumstances. Yeah, yeah. But he said to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage almost all of the time yeah. and in one's work. Mm. And I think that's the piece that we don't usually get in the quote. But then he goes on to say, and part of the rage is this. It isn't only what is happening to you but it's what's happening all around you mm -hmm. and all of the time in the face of the most extraordinary and criminal indifference. Mm -hmm. Indifference of most white people in this country and their ignorance. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, but, and I know I'm throwing a lot at you. <laughs> I got you. Yet somehow black people's resilience Come has on. shined through. Come on. And Frederick Douglass, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, they spoke about slaves singing, mm -hmm. but not simply singing, right? Mm -hmm. Rather singing out of sadness that though the songs are full of hope and of freedom, the fact is they're born from a place of deep pain. Right, 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 right. And uh, the hope is primarily an attempt to cope with the daily injustices. Mm -hmm. We know those songs to be. Negro spirituals <laughs> and being the church girls we are, we have heard and learned a plenty yes. of them, right? Yes. And so it's no secret that James Baldwin, Frederick Douglass, and Paul Lawrence Dunbar's take on the cage bird and singing influenced Dr. Angelo's mm -hmm. piece, right? Mm -hmm. um, but she compares and contrasts both the caged and the free bird. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's the difference there. And the free bird, or we can relate it to a person, right? Mm -hmm. When we talk about freedom and how you never 
when you're free, you don't really have to think about your freedom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just a given mm-hmm. because you're free, right? Um, and, and you focus on things like living, mm-hmm. living your right, life. Right, right. <laughs> and um, so on the flip side of that, it's the cage bird that has to work things out. Always wonder, mm-hmm. always thinking about what it would be like mm-hmm. to be free. Um, but the free bird has a sense of entitlement and always mm-hmm. is wanting more mm-hmm. or asking for more mm-hmm. because there's no fear. Right. Right. Um, so. I also think it's important to mention that Dr. Angela released her debut memoir in 1969 and James Baldwin said of her piece that I know why the cage bird sings liberates the leader the reader into life simply because my Angela confronts her own life with such a moving wonder such a luminous dignity. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about it. <laughs> I want to talk about all of it because you are doing some amazing work. Thank you. And um, your connection to Dr. Angela, uh, you know, you're a mom, mm-hmm. you work outside the home, but you didn't always work outside the home. You've right. been at home right. um, taking care of your babies uh, who are not babies anymore. anymore. <laughs> So I just want to talk about that. Like you have, um, we briefly talked about I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And how that memoir really had an effect on you. And so I want to talk a little bit about that, okay. tied in with the work that you're doing, okay. and how has, has Maya Angelou kind of, willed you yeah yeah you know into this beautiful woman that that you've become oh yes it's um there's so much and I think I'd love to go to the first time I saw her book and I actually stole it out of (laughs) Beaumont Middle School library (laughs) um I like Dr. Maya had um been sexually abused as a child and um I, I came across the book, um, probably was Black History Month, it was showing, you know, displayed, and there was something about the bird being in the cage that I resonated with, but um, I, I might answer with the name was unique, my name is Lynn Brown, which is, you know, I didn't think I understood who she was, but there was something really intriguing, and then of course, to, you know, look at the back of the book and see it's a black woman and all the things, so I took that book home. And I intended on returning it, but her story felt like my story. And um, because of the shame and the family member who abused me and the ways in which I had to protect my family name, um, I wasn't forthcoming with that abuse till much later. Mm -hmm. Um, But having Maya's, having I Know Why the Cage Bird underneath my pillow at night and this blueprint of if, if Maya can get through it and find a way, I can. So her book was like um, my hope. Um, and so it became a part of me. Um, growing up in Portland, you've been talking about this contrast of whiteness and blackness and the free and the caged. Um, 
we've had I've had to learn how to create my own experiences and um, to move myself through challenging times when I don't see something visible to create visibility. And so words do that for me. Writing does that for me. Singing does that for me. And all of the essence of Maya and how she, from a dancer to a poet to a mom to a a cook, like I, I saw so much of the women that I was surrounded by in this one person's life that there was always so much more to come back to. So I read all of her books and I tried to, um, she never met me, but I've been, you know, to many of her performances and, and really endeared to my heart. So, um, yeah, I think when you were talking about the Black experience, Black women also, we have not only just um, dominant white culture to navigate as a black person. We also have gender dynamics um, and um, the ways in which we have been silenced to protect our men, our family members, right? Because black women, um, the, 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 uh, I don't say the lie, but the whatever the, the lie the um understanding this notion that black men experience more pain because of how they've been introduced to this story of race um and oppression we tend to cover our own harms and hurts more to protect them mm -hmm. um but at the end of the day i mean if we want to really really get into it like the woman is the black woman. The black woman is at the bottom. We are right. Like who is protecting her? Right. Who is protecting her? Yeah, yeah. At least the black woman is trying to protect the black man, but who is protecting the black woman? Right, right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that's um, my yeah, and so even from the last book, uh, letters to my daughters, I think might have been one of her last books. Again, I've read all of them and have tried to find myself and story in, in so many ways so yes very dear to my heart yes yes and can you talk about um because one of the things that I mentioned earlier was the Negro spirituals mm -hmm. and how black people although our music is back then was rooted out of pain and it's still today I would say mm -hmm. you know a lot of it you know when you think about like the struggles or whatever even if it's love loving someone else's mm -hmm. you know you, that soul music is mm -hmm. usually rooted out of pain you know a relationship gone bad or something but the Negro spiritual uh you know coming from a religious standpoint yeah. of you know finding that strength even though it was birthed out of pain mm -hmm. how somehow right our people were able to find joy and yeah and hope um, and and um, a way to find freedom yeah yeah um so there's this transcendency that happens as a result, we might you may begin in pain because you need to nurture, you need to tend to what is. Now that's one thing about black folks. Those that want to be free unapologetically want to talk about the pain. I'm worthy of being respected. I'm worthy of you acknowledging that you stepped on my toe, you you hurt me, you, you slapped me in the face, you've been racist to me, you killed my son, right? But we there is this dignity of we're not gonna sugarcoat harm and trauma and so once we're there in that space and we're working it out music the hymns um those negro spirituals not only 
communicated the way out literally through slave times, mm -hmm. emotionally and mentally. Um, I uh, wrote a chapter in my own memoir, which I'm working on, um, called Gospel Song in the Rain, and the, what the chapter is called Songs Can Fix You. Mm -hmm. Right? And so this transcendency, and, and we meditate on songs. So we're, some people might chant and chime over and over again. We sing that same verse over and over and over again until we feel that change, until we experience God's presence in yes. the pain. It's the repetition. Girl, it's the repetition that makes the difference, mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah, that transcendency of what was when I started my prayer, my song, Night Watch, me and my prayer, whatever I started and where how I come out, yes. if I get if the working gets to happening, I'm gonna be good. Yes. I'm gonna be all right. Yeah, and that is the power of of music. And I would even go a little further to say that is the power of gospel, gospel music, music. Yeah. Because of of where you start, you can be down. And I think that is a a direct connection to those Negro spirituals yes. of, you know, when they were in the field, you know, and and for for white slave owners or masters to say, well, you know, they dancing and singing, so, you know, slavery couldn't have been all that horrific. They were able to dance and sing. I'm totally misinterpreted and misunderstood, right, the power of that music evoked mm -hmm. the dancing, mm -hmm. which was more of working it out, like you yeah, said, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, the shouting, the, mm -hmm. you know, the mm -hmm. dancing mm -hmm. um, of working that thing mm -hmm. out when mm -hmm. it just gets into you and and you feel like, okay, I got something to hold on yeah. to. Yeah. And I can make it through another day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that historical, historically, we go back to Africa and how we were in community together. It was through chant and dance and song. And so, you know, this visual of even in chains, the the, the audacity to have that kind of resilience that I will still shout. I will, as you're whipping me, I'll still sing like that because the, the transcendency has happened. And I am so proud and grateful that that resiliency lives in me. It's, it's, it's the place where I go to when I feel isolated, alone, imprisoned. Um, it's in it's in my blood. It, yes, it, it, I feel it in my body. And it know? has also informed the work that you yes, do. Yes, ma'am. Not only your your poetry and your writing, but the work you do. Yes. Talk about that a little more. Yeah. So um, I was out here in these streets doing this <laughs> DEI work, <laughs> um, and was honored, you know, to really understand and unpack how systemic and cultural racism has influenced not just my life, but our community, specifically Portland, specifically Oregon, the Pacific Northwest, and um, was asked to be a part of an amazing startup organization called Center for Equity Inclusion. And the piece that Hanif Fazel, our um, CEO at the time, saw in me was this connection to community and to BIPOC people. And unapologetically, wanting to set that as a standard of healing and um, enoughness. Like, um, it's important to have frameworks and tools and strategies and the equity plan, but it's another thing to do and be the work. And um, I feel that I, mm, 
in my journey and being the only and, and having to assimilate to survive and being asked to assimilate and um, to survive, right? Only black girls in honors English. Um, the uh, only first to graduate on my parents' side, my mom's side and my dad's side. We saw this way, especially education, moving on up and moving on through. But to do that meant I had to act like the white girls, you know, when, when I had to, or assimilate. push assimilate, right? And so um, this taking off of ourselves, this checking our blackness at the door to be a part of it, be at the table. God said that I could live this life and live it abundantly. Hmm. Can that, is that possible in Portland, Oregon, the whitest city in the country? Help me, Jesus, right? Help me. <laughs> and, uh, Okay, how does that look like? And one, I'm learning, it's not based on other people's exchange of that to me, um, giving that to me. Mm -hmm. It is for myself. Yes. And so part of that for us as black people, uh, as people of color, we have to continuously keep our well full because the poking is gonna come. Yes, come on now. The slicing, the hitting, the the, the, the the hits are gonna come. But if my well is full and it's overflowing and I'm consistently pouring back in, there's a way. But there's, there's so much attentiveness that has to happen to that space. And so my work now is really supporting BIPOC staff, leadership, organizations, schools, churches, to really cultivate and create that space where there is that well, well, um, that wellness happening, literally wellness happening. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I do. And and then having to apply that to your own self, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're a mom. Yeah. You're a wife. You know, you're still going home yeah. and after work, and yeah. you know, having to to do the family thing yeah, yeah. and so you know how do you take all of that how do you decompress how do you do mm -hmm. self-care yeah talk about your oh your, your full-time woman yes yes <laughs> <laughs> self-care that is that is so a part of like the how and the anchor um of what has kept me um there was a season where I literally, I literally crumbled. Um, I was so subscribed to being a strong black woman. It was given, I, I assumed that title, right? I'm the oldest black, I'm the oldest child. Um, uh, you know, all of the dynamics in which I was navigating and then the um, expectations of the church, the black church, which I love, I'm a part of, but again, this idea of we can do it, be it all, the committees, the meetings, the all the things that I, I did, I was doing it all. And um, I lost, I lost it. I lost, I lost. And so when I was able to get permission actually from my therapist to set boundaries, I began to live in that freedom. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, um, that looks like quiet time, prayer time journaling all the feelings, getting them all out. Um, so that emotional work is important. Um, then physically to run things out, just to, to go running, to go for a walk, to be out in nature with God, reminded of how big he is, even in the midst of all of the circumstances that 
I can look at the ocean. I can see the sunrise. I can look at the beauty of a flower. That's healing, you know? Um, So I have my workout, my my worship, and my word. I have my, I call it my wow. These are my W's. My wow um, is looking for that one thing where God wowed me in the day. Girl, it could be as simple. I love that. Yes, it could be as simple as, man, that um, you know, that new kale mushroom egg bites is kind of on point. It's good and it's good. Like this is this is good. You know, to like a massage. You know, it doesn't. I'm just looking for the thing for me to be able to witness God's hand upon my life and His care for me. Yeah, like. You know, the popular thing right now is, you know, finding the joy. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So, yes, finding mm-hmm. that joy. And one thing that came to my mind when you were speaking is that we can't draw from empty wills. No, right? So we have to take care of ourselves yeah. because as women, and especially black women, we are given 100% plus yeah. all the time, every day. And we will burn out yes. or die silently yeah, yeah. if we are not, you know, mm-hmm. refilling yes. our buckets, our yes. wells. Yes. yes. And I, I have, like, when you talk about the wellness, I've changed my diet. I'm calling myself vegetarianist. <laughs> kind of. Uh, I try to, like, only eat meat once a day. Um, and I try to have a couple no meat day. And I, I feel the change physically mm-hmm. in my body. You're looking good, girl. Thank you, sis. Thank you. Um, and I think um, um, writing, having something that you're passionate, where you can be creative. Um, and again, like my little girl self, no matter what I'm experiencing, if I can put my place in a space of transformation to get what I'm needing, to me that might be I need to write a poem today. I need to work on a chapter. And, of course, as you see, I love books. Yes. So, again, like with Maya, I'm finding bits and pieces of myself to, to get the blueprint of what hasn't been given to me. I, you know, the generation before us, behind us, um, did not model self-care. It was, it was seen as a luxury, maybe, and also just didn't, under, didn't have... You know, like you're talking about the free in the cage bird. Mm-hmm. My the sacrifice of my parents allows me to yes. be in this place of privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's easy to kind of shrink back into what you've seen as the roles, you know. Yes. So my husband's like, "Look, you ain't gonna blame me for you not getting your healing and your wholeness. That's mm-hmm. on you." Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, we put on the role of mommy attending to everything, dotting every mm-hmm. eye cross and every T for our kids. And then we're ups- we're upset because we're you know we're we're the martyr, you know, and it's really us. So I found myself I'm doing it to myself. So let's let's go back to that because as moms I know uh, many moms they put their dreams off. Come on. And some of them they just you know their dreams just shift. Yeah. And it's all about the kids. Yeah. And when the kids are gone, they're just lonely because they don't have an outlet. But that's not your story. Not my story. Because at some point you realize, okay, yes, I'm a mom. I'm a loving mom. I'm a loving wife. But I gotta do what's inside of me. Mm -hmm. You know that gives me that joy. That's just like I can't ignore it. Yeah, yeah. And and so you've been writing. I've been writing. 
Um, I've been performing poetry. Mm -hmm. I've been um, doing my LLC with my consulting. Um, been finding these little niches of, like you're saying, the, the space to do me. Mm -hmm. um, and it actually refuels me. Oh, I love to travel. That's a whole nother. Woo. Yes. I miss it right oh. now. I miss it. I need a plane right now. I need a plane ticket right now, Jesus. Um, Don't tip me. <laughs> we re you ready to go? I'm ready. Come on. <laughs> Let's do it. Please. So, please. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, what I find is when I'm able to go away, I have a every um, quarter I go to the monastery um, and it's my silent retreat where I don't talk for a day. I might nap, I might sit in the sun, I'm, I will probably pray, but it's just a time for me to slow myself down. And then I'm able to come back, recharge, refuel, you're able to look at that same thing a different way. Mm -hmm. Or you have an opportunity to work out what you need to work out, like releasing my children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like trusting my husband to evolve and continue to create the love that we want to have for a lifetime. Yeah. Like letting go, you know? Um, so right. yeah, we come, we can, if we give ourselves that allowance and when I didn't have no money, when I didn't, <laughs> when I didn't, when I couldn't afford a trip, I would find me a corner. I girl, I make me a she shack in a garage. Yes. yes. I would put up, I buy myself flowers. Dream. Girl, mm -hmm. you know, just, I think beauty, um, beauty helps me feel like I'm worthy, and being around beauty allows me to um, um, be energized. I love art. I love to create with food. Um, it's just yeah, I I love beauty, and that has been transformational for me. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's important, and then also right surrounding yourself around other women mm -hmm. who are uplifting and Girl, encouraging, you know, so you're not drained yeah. in that area too because we do need that sisterhood, yeah. right? And I mean, let's just be real. Some circles you are get it are just, they're just not healthy. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, yeah. so you even have to be careful navigating that. I know, uh, you know, when I'm working with young girls, you know, and you see them having their issues mm -hmm. with friends and, you know, mm -hmm. it's growing pains. And <laughs> I remember telling a group of uh, young ladies, I was like, you know what? And it don't even get better. Like when you right. get older, you right. still have to deal with yeah. some of the same things. You just learn how to navigate yeah. it, yeah. you know, a, a little better. Yeah. So, um, you know, definitely having that type of support. So what are some of the things that you do? How do you get the support? Well, you, you just, just, that was my, that, that next one is, is a huge part is um, sister circles. And, and again, it was the blueprint of um, my childhood and being in such a, tight-knit loving community where um our girlhood was cultivated through junior red circle through um all the ways in which we were centered in service and our creativity evolving and so i've taken that piece um is there's nothing and she's not another part of junior red circle that's a whole <laughs> session right right i told you all the goods on all, all that from all the First crushes to the cussing each other out to the fallouts to the you know mm -hmm. first baptism to when we all first got the Holy Ghost to like oh my God singing our little Jeremiah group 
our, we was going to be famous, y'all. We was going to be famous. Um, so all the, all the things, you know, that we, we were able to, um, it didn't feel like comparison, although that happened at times, but it really was a safe place to grow and evolve and have some accountability, but also um, that sisterhood. There's, there's nothing like black girl power. We talk about black girl magic, but I want it like the, the, the sister circle is also part of that magic. Um, and like you said, it, I've had to really be protective over that um, because I don't have a lot of time where I can just give. There's seasons where I have been able to give more and not receive less, be able to receive less. But this is a season because I'm so stressed right now that I have to be very strategic in who I spend time with. Mm -hmm. um, and that sounds kind of selfish or I don't know, people might think it turned off or whatever, but and I also have spaces where more larger, but um, if you have a couple good friends, you don't need a lot. You, you are so blessed if you have a couple good friends. For yeah. real. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. People who can hold you. I mean, you know, you might not even have to talk to them every single day, but just, you know, women yeah. who can hold you and and encourage you. Well, there's a way that you can look at me in my eye that I can't, I can't lie. <laughs> you ask, like, how you doing? How you really doing? Right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that being known and also, I'm going to hold you through your tough time or, or your difficulty, but I also see you evolving. I see you being free of this thing too. And so, we don't need sister circles that are going to keep us um, bound or um, living out brokenness and yet there's a time when we both have shared our brokenness with each other but you better believe we're praying and we're singing through we might cough it out and cuss it out and cry it out but there's also again we're gonna move out of it too yes yes you know? and that's what i love like we're not gonna just let one another stay there mm -mm. i mean we might be pissed at each other mm -hmm. for challenging mm -hmm. us mm -hmm. not to stay you know mm -hmm. waddle in our misery mm -hmm. but it's like uh, okay okay you get that? Come on. Come on. How long you gonna be down there? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you that one. Right. And then I think too, sis, like knowing ourselves. Like you, you you can be very close. Like we're like sisters. I've known you since I was nine or ten, mm -hmm. and we're 48, right? <laughs> Just go ahead and do the math there. Whoa. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and yet we're very different. Mm -hmm. So Shalon is um very introverted. And I'm very extroverted. Mm -hmm. um, and there's times where I so appreciate you calling me in to the quiet and the more deeper and the more sacred pause, right? Like, the, I'm not doing all that, but you and me, we can do this, right? And then there's times I'm like, Shalanda, come on. Like, come out and play. Come, come, come on, sis. I want to share you. Like, this is my best friend. I want the whole world to see how amazing she is. You know? And so there's this pulling out mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. being bold. And I'm so glad you're doing this now. <laughs> like, just being emboldened and to share all that you are, right? Yeah. But there's the moments where that tension has, we could have misunderstood one another. And we have misunderstood mm -hmm, each other mm -hmm. based on what I was needing, what you were needing, where I was, where you are. But now we're big girls. And we say, well, the... This is really what hurt me. That well, this is what this is where I'm at. This is what I'm needing. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah, that's wearing the grown girl drawing. <laughs> right. That's what you know. Yes. 
I told y'all we were going to go over our time and we probably spoke another 30 minutes off tape. If you haven't noticed by now, I like to say, look, y'all, yes, baby, and mm mm-hmm a lot. So, look, why y'all didn't tell me how hard doing a podcast is? Maybe I almost didn't, but I did, and that's all I'm going to say about that because my first episode is out, and me and my girlfriend had a great conversation about self-love, therapy, cussing, children, husbands, work, music, faith, religion, community. She even said our age, and I almost edited that out, but I told y'all it was unfiltered, so I didn't. Is there anything we didn't talk about? Yes. Cancel culture. Hate. Division. We don't rock with that, but that's for another episode. Real talk. That's what we're having here. April is National Poetry Month. Today is Good Friday. My great-grandmother's birthday was yesterday. Easter is Sunday, and so is Dr. Maya Angelou's birthday. So this is the perfect month to kick off the Full-Time Woman podcast because my guest and I will be discussing poetry and prose in all forms all year long. Thank you to my special guest, Mrs. V. Lynn Brown, who, in addition to her DEI work, being a bad A mama and wife, is also, you guessed it, a poet. You can learn more about her by visiting the Full Time Woman blog and following me on Instagram and YouTube at FTW Real Talk. Likewise, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. Good Friday and happy Easter weekend. I look forward to hearing from you and speaking with you soon.